kind of answering a lot of claims that I've kind of been making throughout um, you know, this series. I've been kind of waiting until we got to this chapter to really prove some things. And so there's kind of some major questions, major objections that pop up from because of some things that we see here in chapter 16. And I'm going to be dealing with these things tonight. I think proving some of the claims I've been making without a shadow of a doubt. Just leaving no room for doubt that you know, we've got this right, we've got our timeline right. So, just a reminder though of where we are to kind of help us uh, be in the right mindset when it comes to what we are looking at here. So remember, we talked about this last week, chapters 14 and 15 are basically a part of the same vision. Chapter 16 is part of the same vision too, where it started out where you had these angels that are coming out of the temple. Okay, this particular vision it's focused on the temple that's in heaven. And in chapter 14, you had all these angels coming out, pronouncing all these different judgments and things. You had these visions of the rapture, the visions of the uh, battle of the great day of God Almighty. And so we've got all these things going on. In the end of chapter 15, we saw how Jesus goes into the temple. Right? He goes into the temple, and I showed how he basically is going to pour out his wrath from the temple. When he leaves the temple, he's going to mount a horse, and he's going to come to earth, and we are going to come with him during that time. And so, uh, here in chapter 16, right, chapter 15 ended with him going into the temple, so now here in chapter 16, we're seeing what he's doing in the temple. Alright, so this is all part of the same vision, and keep that in mind, because once again, we made the claim how chapter 1 through 11 kind of tells the story of Revelation, and then chapter 12 through 22 tells it again. It's not completely chronological from 12 to 22. For the most part, it is. But what we're seeing here in this, these visions from chapter 14 through 16, this is this is a separate vision from what we see in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. Those chapter 12 is a specific vision. Chapter 13 is a specific vision. But then chapters 14 through 16, it's, a, it's another vision, alright? So, that's why things aren't just completely, you know, chronological in, in here, but for the most part, it is. And so, after we get done with chapter 16, chapters, you know, 17 and 18, basically go back and deal with something that we're going to see mentioned in chapter 16 too. Alright, so not, not necessarily everything that's after chapter 16 comes after chapter 16 chronologically speak. Does that all make sense? So we'll deal with some of that next week. But that's just kind of a reminder of where we are. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now I think this is interesting because of the fact that you know, we claim that the rapture comes after the mark of the beast. And, of course, the preachers will get mad and say, nope, we've not been appointed under wrath. Well, I would agree with that. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus pours out his wrath, the first people that are mentioned are people who had received the mark of the beast. I find that very interesting. Because 
the mark of the beast comes before the rapture, and before the wrath of God. And so we've been raptured, and uh, you know this just this goes along perfectly with our timeline. So, but uh, one of the things I want to show you as we go through chapter 16, all right? Put your finger in Revelation chapter 8. We're going to be going back and forth from chapter 8 to chapter 16 a lot, but. I've made the claim, I do. I agree with the whole idea that the trumpets and the vials basically happen simultaneously. You say, well, they're not the exact same. Well, no, they're not the exact same, but at the same time, basically, the seven trumpets, God is showing, you know, how he's going to pour out his wrath, and then when we see the seven vials, we're basically taking another look at it, from another angle. It doesn't have to be identical. But when you see the similarities that are there, I think it's almost impossible to deny the whole idea that they happen simultaneously. Now, I'm going to show you some things that, that I think ought to you know, convince the greatest skeptic. All right? So, uh, but notice how it mentions, so this first vial in verse 2, it says he poured out his vial upon the earth. Now this the first vial of the first trumpet, this is the only one where I feel like you feel like you're stretching to say they're basically the same thing. Alright? And once again, they're not basically the same, they're not the same judgment, alright? But I do think it's interesting that he says he pours out a vial upon the earth. Alright? Well, in Revelation 8-7, when we see the first trumpet, it says the first angel sounded. And there followed hail and fire, mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. So when you have the first vial, it focuses on the mark of the, you know, uh, sore coming on those who had the mark of the beast. When you have the first trumpet, it focuses on a third of the trees burning up, which is a horrible, devastating thing. I mean, Al Gore is going to be having a coronary during this time when, when this happens. If, uh, you know, Cortez is going to be demanding Congress pass through her Green Deal or whatever during this time. But uh, that would be a really bad thing. But you know what Al Gore and Cortez are going to talk about is, hey, should we repent? You know, should we call on Christ? I can promise you they won't be bringing that. But anyway, I hope maybe they get hit by a couple of those fire things of fire and brimstone personally. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'll be here. So, but... Um, but I, I do think it's interesting. It's worth noting that they both mention how these judgments, it, when it mentions them, how they're poured on the earth. All right. Now you say it's still a stretch. All right. Well, at the end of my message, I'm going to kind of explain to you what we're seeing and, and how to look at this. All right. That I think will make sense. All right. So the first vial, the first trump, it might seem like a little bit of a stretch, but let's keep going. And with the rest of them. When you look at the rest of them, it's like, that's way too big of a coincidence. So the second vial, verse 3, says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And then when you look at Revelation 8:8, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. All right. Now, when we see this, so you know, first off, the second vial, the second trumpet, they hit the sea. 
first from the first vial hit the earth, the second one hit the sea. You say, well, only a third of the light dies in this trumpet, and all of it dies in the vial. Well, once again, they don't necessarily have to happen at the moment the second trumpet blows is the second vial poured out. Basically what we're seeing here is God is kind of outlining, what we have here is an outline of how the whole earth is going to get hit. So it would be like, for example, if I was a military commander and I was like, you know what, we are going to just destroy some country. We're going at them by land and air and sea. I'm naming off all these things. You're showing we're going to hit them every way possible. Okay? We're going to go out on planes. We're going to fight them in the sky. We're going to fight them in the water. We're going to fight them on the ground. We're fighting them everywhere. Okay? I'm kind of outlining those things. When we are seeing God's wrath poured out, we are basically seeing here an outline of how God's going to hit everything. So it doesn't necessarily mean these happen at the very same time. So, for example, when we have the second trumpet and this mountain is cast into the sea and a third part of the creatures die, well, I would say that this happens slightly before the second mile, but they're roughly in the same time. Y'all see what I'm saying? Okay, so they don't necessarily have to happen at the same day, but they could happen in the same year or the same, you know three months or something like that. But what we're basically seeing here is just an outline of how God is going to hit the earth. He's going to hit the air, and then he's going to hit the sea. When he hits the earth, not everything that happens is going to happen in one day. When he hits the sea, not everything is necessarily going to happen in one day. It might be over, you know, obviously the mountain being cast into the sea, that will probably happen in one day. But then, what we see here with the vials that might be over a process of time. Right away, a third of the sea creatures die with the mountain, but then when the rest of the things take place with the vials, it'll take out the rest. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when we say simultaneous, it's just basically at, the, at roughly, you know, the same time. You know, it's like when we talk to you about, you know, how we got attacked on 9-11, you know, they attacked us at the World Trade Centers. They attacked us at the Pentagon. They, you know, tried to attack them in the one place, but you know, the people overtook them. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring those. You know, we'll kind of bring up all these different things, and they didn't necessarily happen at the same moment, but roughly the same time. You know, and that was when we also had the big anthrax scare, and you know, and all, all these. You know, there was all these different things that were going on, and then the biggest attack that we received was a result of 9-11. It didn't come until a little bit later when they started passing, like, the Patriot Act, and when they started, you know, sending us to war in all these other countries, and, you know, the worst stuff uh, happened later. So, but at the same time, we kind of put it all in that same time, right? And so that's basically what we see right here. So, uh, let's look at the third vial uh, in verse 4 of chapter 16. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, 
True and righteous are thy judgments. And I like how it throws that in here, because some people might look at the book of Revelation and think God's being kind of harsh. You know, people don't deserve all this. Well, actually they do. The Bible says they are worthy. They've killed the martyrs, and you know what? Rightfully so, God's giving them blood to drink. They are worthy, and so it's like this is just kind of inserted in there in case some bleeding hearts want to read this and try to make it look like God's mean and God's rough. No, he's not. You know, the problem that we have is God has been merciful for so long that we've just got this idea that God doesn't care about all the wickedness that's going on. And folks, when you look at the junk that's going on in our country just with the abortion bills and things that they're passing, Illinois now is trying to pass some horrible stuff. I mean, just horrible, sick, twisted, barbaric practices like abortion. And, you know, it's been going on for so long, it's like Christians think that God's just turning a blind eye to that. And folks, I'm, I'm telling you right now, there, if, if God let our country be destroyed tomorrow, it wouldn't mess up any Bible prophecy, I don't think, necessarily. And you know what? We deserve every bit of it. We deserve every bit of it. Well, you know, I've never had an abortion. Yeah, but you know, we haven't done enough to stop it. You know, if, if we all get killed tomorrow, you know, because we deserve it. Our country is that bad. We deserve whatever we get. If Russia or North Korea drops nukes on us, you know what? God is still, God is good. God has been way more merciful than we could possibly deserve if we get nuked tomorrow. That's how wicked our country is. That's what I think, that's what I think about our country. Uh, I'm disgusted by it. And uh, I, you know, it probably took us a little longer than it should have to retire our American flag. And, you know, I think at one time it stood for something, but anymore, I think we just need to be ashamed. I think we ought to be embarrassed. You know what? I think it's time. You know, it, it was time to definitely separate our nation from this church, and we don't need to be doing that. And I, I do think churches. I, I think churches are waking up to it. But you know what? Some of them aren't. I, I see some of these churches. They're getting a little too patriotic anymore. And when you're celebrating our country and you're decorating your auditorium with flags and stuff, when we're passing the barbaric abortion bills like we are in our country, something's wrong with that when we're promoting perversion the way we are, when you look at who our leadership is, you know, man, it is by God's mercy that we are not Jews. And so I don't care. Whatever happens to our country, if tomorrow the stock market crashes and we lose cable, God is still good. People are going to think we're in the tribulation. But God is being so merciful to us. If we lose the internet... You know, the grid goes down, and we all eat each other alive. God is good. That, that, that's how bad our country is. We are worthy of blood. Just because of the faith. Abortion alone makes us worthy of anything. So let's just, let's just get that in our head. You know what? I think it'll make us be more thankful people. We ought to be thankful. The fact that we've got food to eat, the fact that we're safe right now, it's, we do not deserve it. We better get that in our heads and just pray that God will extend His mercy a little longer and pray that He's, you know, I, I'm praying that He saves judgment for all the babies we've killed for after the rapture.
regardless of that style. That's what I hope it is, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. He could end this tomorrow. We've got nothing to say about it. But anyway, that's that first file, or that third file, and it's, so it was upon the rivers and fountains of waters. The third trumpet says in Revelation 8:10, the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So, first one on the earth, second on the sea, the third on the uh, rivers and fountains of waters. That's three for three so far. That's pretty good. Alright? It looks like God's basically giving the same outline. And I think, too, what you can say is that when God pours His wrath out on the earth, whether we are looking at the trumpets, whether we're looking at the vials in scriptures, we are just seeing God's outline plan of attack. He's going after the earth first. He's going to take, take out the tree, a third of the trees, and he's going to give a sword to those who have the mark of the beast. Then he's going to hit the water. He's going to hit the seas. And then after that, he's going to hit the you know rivers and fountains of waters. We're seeing an outline of God's attack. When you look at the vials, when you look at the trumpets, you're just seeing different details, because they are different details, but we're seeing that it's consistent with the wave of attack that God is going, or the, the outline of the attack that God is bringing on earth. So when we get to the fourth vial, it says, The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed in the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Then the fourth trumpet, Revelation 8.12, And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. So the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. So, here we have the sun being mentioned. Yeah, this is different. The one is scorching people with fire, and the other one is darkened. Yes, but once again, it's that outline of the attack. At first, maybe first, it starts scorching people really bad, and then all of a sudden, it gets dimmed, and it's only shining for a third part of the day. Or it could even be the other way around. I don't know. Maybe first it gets dark for a while, you can only see a third part of the day, and then after that, all of a sudden, I mean, it's really, you know, it's really bright or really hot. Either way, both of these things are a part of the attack that God is bringing on earth, and it's showing this is kind of that fourth wave of attack. So the first wave is the is on earth, the second wave is with the seas, the third wave is with the rivers and fountains of water, the fourth wave is with the sun. And you know how long a period of time this covers? I was to say. Okay? So, you know, the scorching thing could last for one month. The darkening part could be another one. I don't know, it could be three months. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But either way, it's just different details, but same outline. Same order of attack method. So, the fifth vial, in chapter 16, verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores 
and repented not of their deeds. Now, I don't totally understand this here, but, you know, mentions king, his kingdom being full of darkness and them gnawing their tongues for pain. I don't know if this is a result of the sore from the first vial they're talking about, or if this is something different. I don't know if this is something special, too, because of the darkness. Remember, we're talking about, the, uh, I forgot where it was, uh, oh, in, uh, in Egypt, there was a darkness that could be felt. Alright? I've been in some dark places where I don't, I've never really felt darkness. You know, we went. Uh, we were at a cave in Ransom one time, and they turned all the lights out. It was really, really dark, and it didn't last real long. So I don't know. I, I didn't notice feeling the dark. I remember feeling a little creeped out, but at the same time, uh, I don't know if there's if it's possible to cause pain or anything like that. But at, at the same time, it might be something unrelated, or it might be just something extra got his brain during this time. But specifically, though. It's this vial is upon the seed of the beast that's mentioned here. So wherever he's raining from is where it's, it's probably going to take place. And where is that exactly? I, I don't know for sure. Probably Israel. I don't know. But it could be. It could be New York. It could be the United Nations. Where, where that's at. I don't know. I, I really don't have a strong opinion on that. But we do know that this isn't necessarily going to be global where it's this dark. But look at chapter uh, 9, though, when we have the fifth trumpet. Alright, in chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven under the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came up out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, and the scorpions of the earth have power. So this is that, you know, the one with the demonic globes, you all know about that. But I think it's interesting that in the fifth vial, it specifically mentions the seed of the, bee, of the beast. It's super dark there. Here, we see there's darkness on the earth. It's not full darkness, it's not as bad, but we do see a darkness that's mentioned during this time. But we also have the demonic locusts that are mentioned. So part of what you could say is happening in this fifth wave of attack is God completely blacks out the seed of the beast and he darkens the rest of the world. And, for an extra bonus, while the rest of the world's darkened, we have these demonic locusts that are going around and they're tormenting people for five months. So this is going to be a pretty bad time. Now, how long is that darkness going to be going on at the seed of the beast? I don't know if the Bible doesn't tell us, maybe five months, I, I don't know. It, you know, it, it might, the timeline of that might not really have anything to do with this, but it is, you know, it does kind of help advance this idea when you see darkness mentioned in both of them. But once again, they're not identical judgments. They're, they're not, they are, the trumpet judgments and the Bible judgments are different judgments but they are in line as far as when we, if we want to look at an outline attack. So, look at the sixth vial. I think this one's, this one's interesting. And I think <clears throat> this here, too, uh, something I noticed in here, I think proves one of the claims that I have been making about Armageddon. I mean, that makes it real clear that I never really noticed before. But uh, chapter 16, verse 12, it says in the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. 
and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Okay? Now, there's a couple things I want to watch here. Okay? This next verse confuses people. Alright? This next verse confuses people, but I'm going to, at the end of this message, explain this verse. I'm going to have to come back to this. In chapter 15, or verse 15, notice the words are in red, right? We have Jesus speaking here. What does he say? Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Alright? Now, what's this talking about? Because Armageddon's mentioned, right, which is at the end of the seven years, according to every dispensational timeline I've ever seen. Notice how Jesus says, Behold, that comes the thief. Does this give credibility to a post seven year tribulation rapture? What's Jesus talking about here when he says, Behold, that comes the thief? Alright, well, let me just tell you, and I'll prove it later, it's talking about the rapture. Okay? When he says, Behold, that comes the thief here, I believe he's talking about the rapture. Okay? And I believe the rapture still happens at the same time that I did before. And that the rapture is not going to come at Armageddon. Alright? You say, that's a stretch. I'll, I'll prove it to you in a little bit. Alright? So, we'll come back to that. Verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Man, that really makes it look like Jesus is coming back at Armageddon, doesn't it? I mean, all that comes is a thief, and he mentions Armageddon. What's going, what's going on here? Well, first off, I still claim, and I, I think I'm, I've already proved, I think I'm going to prove it, there is no battle of Armageddon. Okay? There is no battle of Armageddon. This verse right here is the only place where Armageddon is mentioned. Alright? In the book of Revelation. It's the only place. See another place the Bible talking about the beginning. Okay? Armageddon and the Valley of Jehoshaphat are not the same valley. Okay? Valley of Jehoshaphat is right outside Jerusalem. Now I'm going to preach that again. Notice what happens in this seal. Alright? Let's let's focus on what this vial is. This sixth vial is poured on the great river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is dried up. That way the kings of the east can be prepared. What's going on here? Okay? We have uh, the water being dried up. Why? Because God's wanting to bring all the armies to Jerusalem. So what's going on? God's wanting to fight that battle of Jerusalem. So the waters get dried up. And then we have unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the beast going in all the earth to get the kings to come to this battle of the great day of God Almighty. That battle takes place outside Jerusalem at the valley of Jehoshaphat. That is where God is going to tread the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath. Okay? And so then notice how, so it's saying, at this sixth vial, God is gathering the, you know, God is using these things 
so the bees can send his spirits out to gather the armies together. And where do they gather together? At, at Armageddon. Do we see any battle fall there? No. But they're getting ready for a battle, a battle that doesn't take place until later. Okay? And it's not that battle is not going to happen at Armageddon. It's going to happen at Jerusalem. Alright? Now let me prove this to you. You know, because it's like, ah, it, it looks like this is all happening then. No, nothing really happens then, except the Euphrates gets drive. And God begins putting things in motion so the armies will all come together and he can just destroy them. But it doesn't happen at this time. Okay? They're just they're getting ready for it. Look at Revelation 9, verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had a trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, isn't that a coincidence that we have Euphrates specifically mentioned in the sixth vial and the sixth trumpet? I mean, here we've got six things in a row. They're all the same things being mentioned. Why? Because it's the same basic outline. And these angels are loose, the river Euphrates, and the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of man. So notice that when you after the Euphrates River gets hit, we have over a year of time that passes, don't we? Over a year of time passes. Why? Because they're slaying people like crazy. What's going on? We have got major war and fighting going on. Basically, it is all going to come to a head at Jerusalem. But notice how it takes over a year. Okay? It, a lot of time passes from the sixth vial to the seventh. Alright? And so right here, when you see on the sixth trumpet that it mentions... You know, the, river, the angels being loose from the river Euphrates, then, you know, there's no way that doesn't line up as far as the timeline goes with the sixth vial when the river's dried up. Because how are these angels loose from the great river Euphrates? Well, let me give you my opinion. Right? I looked on Google Earth one time and I was looking for Euphrates. This was years ago. I saw a dam on there and it had one of these things on it where you could click on and read things. And it said something about basically calling it like a ticking time bomb. Talking about how this dam is in bad shape and it could just go at any time. Alright? Now, I don't know for sure what, you know, geographically, what that would mean if that dam broke. But, here's what I was I think one of these days that dam is going to break. I think one of these days, God's going to break it. And when he does, that will lose the angels of the great river Euphrates. Alright? And I've got some opinions on that too about the angels of the river Euphrates. Those are for after church conversations. I've got no scripture to back it up. Just my thoughts on it. So I, I can talk to you about that after church. But at the same time, you know, I've heard, I, I think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the, when God looses the angels from the river Euphrates, is when the river Euphrates is dried up. And notice how after that takes place, we have over a year of time that passes. That's plenty of time for there to be a whole lot of fighting going on 
where a third of people get killed in these battles, and where these armies are all being gathered together, why? So they can get ready for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And so they're all going to gather together at Armageddon, but then how much time passes before they go from Armageddon to Jerusalem? From the time they gather? I don't know that exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us. But when they're all gathering there, when everybody you know, is assembling there, you know, it's because they're getting ready for something. Okay? They're all going to assemble somewhere, and then they're going to march somewhere. And I, I think it's clearly going to be Jerusalem. So, uh, you know, I, when, you, when you see that, too, you know, that's really specific river Euphrates. I mean, I, I think you have to say that ends it. There is no doubt these things, uh, you know, the trumpets and vials, for the most part, happen simultaneously. So, uh, you know, this, I, I, I think this verse here in Revelation 9, it proves there's time. There's a good chunk of time that passes from the sixth vial to the seventh, and so it, all, it helps prove there is no battle fought at Armageddon in Revelation 16, 16. And it, it, it's not there, it's not mentioned, and it's just been inserted in there. Why? I don't know, maybe because it sounds good. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some post-seven-year tribulation people got that thing going and wanted to make it look like that was the rapture at that final battle. But uh, I, I think you got to add to the scripture to get that. And I, I'm afraid people have. So let's go ahead and get through the rest of this chapter before I explain you know, my claim that Jesus, when he speaking here, he's talking about the rapture and not talking about Armageddon. Look at verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came out a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, and every stone about the weight of a talent, and then blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So we see here, uh, first off, Babylon is mentioned as being destroyed here. And notice how it's just, it's just briefly mentioned, okay? It briefly mentions, this is where Babylon gets remembered, this is where they're going to get destroyed, but then understand when we get to chapters 17 and 18, it's going to go back, and it's going to deal more specifically with that, because this is a very key event, it's a very important event. So chapters 17 and 18, you know, is basically getting way more specific on what we just read, you know, in a, in a couple verses there in chapter 16. So, We'll, we're, we're going to talk about, we'll spend our time on Babylon in the next two weeks. But look at the seventh trumpet, alright, and see if you notice some similarities in here. Revelation 11 and verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was, were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. 
and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. So notice there in verse 19 how the temple is opened in heaven. We've got lightnings, voices, thunderings, earthquake, and great hail. And then back again in chapter 16, remember, where is Jesus doing this from? He's doing all of this from the temple. That is, that is spelled out in this passage. And it mentions, uh, you know, we have voices that are mentioned. Uh, there are great voices out of the temple. In verse 18, and there were voices, thunderings, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Alright, and then when we get down to verse 21, and there fell upon men great hail out of heaven. Okay? And that's every one of those things are mentioned in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Gives a little more detail in chapter 16 than it does in Revelation 11, but we have the exact same things all happening from the temple, you know, for the seventh from I mean that I mean that is so identical it's you know scary. Alright, we just get a little more details about the hail. Alright? So, you know, and it's finished. This kind of brings it to a conclusion. God is now done pouring out his wrath from heaven. Now that it's done, now that it's finished, then what he does what's he gonna do? He's gonna step out of that temple, he's getting on a horse, and he's coming to earth. He's coming to earth, and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. That the final battle, the battle of the great day of God Almighty, will be ready to be fought, and that we will read about in chapter 19, and it will be done. So, uh, you know, when you look at the trumpets and vials together, there's just no way around the fact that you know, it's not seven seal judgments on the timeline, and seven trumpet judgments, and then seven vial judgments. Okay? I do believe the trumpets and the vials should kind of be listed with each other on the timeline. I think there's just too much evidence to deny that. Alright? And so, what we need to understand about, you know, this the book of Revelation, about these passages, in order to understand what's going on. What we're seeing with the seven trumpets of vials, it is the outline of how God's going to attack. It tells the story twice. It's like God saying, here's how I'm going to attack the earth. I'm going after the land. I'm going after the sea. I'm going after the rivers. I'm going after the... What was the fourth one? Whatever. Alright, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm hitting all these things. Okay? When he's... So, when he is showing John things. John's writing the things he saw. First, God reveals things to him through the trumpets. And he sees certain details, and he sees the outline of an act that's laid out. Later, God shows him more details, more of what's going on, and he does it through the vials. And what does he see? The exact same outline. Alright? The exact same order of the waves of an act. Alright? That is exactly what's going on. And so, uh, yes, you will see differences 
between things on the trumpets and the vials, but that's because those particular things happen at different times, but they are part of that same wave of attacks. That goes to land first, and, and so on. So anyway, what about verse 15? All right, so let's go ahead and look back at chapter 16, verse 15, and notice how Jesus says, Behold, I come to the thief, blessed is he that watches keep his garments. All right? I'm claiming that that's talking about the rapture. But, you know, we are way past the rapture now. All right? You know, and notice the very next verse mentions Armageddon. Are we sure it's not post seven years? Are we sure we're not getting raptured out at Armageddon? Well, here, here's the thing with that. The pre-trippers are right. We've not been appointed under wrath. And is there any doubt that this has been the wrath of God in chapter 16? And there's no doubt this is the wrath of God in chapter 16. No, absolutely no doubt at all. So what's going on? Why is this, why is this mentioned this way? Well, go to chapter 20. Or chapter 21. You know what, man? I don't have a red letter Bible. And I didn't, I didn't write the verses down. Anybody have a red letter Bible? I'm already right. Let, let, me, let me show you something here. Something that I, I believe we're seeing right here in chapter 16 is while Jesus... Okay, because remember, what's going on here? The book starts out with Jesus. You know, John sees Jesus. John sees Jesus speaking to him. John writes down many of Jesus' words. Okay? He tells John, write these things to the seven churches, right? This is all, this isn't written to the Jews, folks. This is written to the seven churches, right? He took, write these things to the churches. While he is, John is writing down the things he saw, right, in this message, one of the things we see Christ do occasionally is interject something, okay? And so as he's been talking about the wrath of God and how horrible what I believe he's doing right here is he's interjecting something, letting these people know, hey, I just mentioned the battle of the great day of God Almighty is coming. You don't want to be here for this. And so he's warning people. He's warning them, saying, hey, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watch and keep his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That's what he's doing. Whenever the Bible talks about him coming as a thief, okay, it's referring to the rapture. Okay? The day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night. Okay? You know, ye, uh, but ye brother not in darkness, that they should overtake you as a thief. Okay? We're supposed to be watching. We're supposed to be ready. What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. He's interjecting something here. And he said, well, that's a stretch. That's just that one, uh, that's that one verse. Well, look at chapter 22. Chapter 22. So he's pretty, he, Jesus is almost done. Okay? He's almost done, and we're getting to the very end here. And in chapter 22, he's, he's talking about some final things. And then verse 6, and he said unto me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord uh, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he to keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Who's he talking to? Then? He's talking to believers here, right? And what does he do? He interjects. Behold, I come quickly. Alright? You want to be ready. Look at verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. Because God wants to be unjust. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. 
God wants to be filthy? And he that is righteous, let it be righteous still. And he that is holy, let it be holy still. And another interjection of Christ, and behold, I come quickly. John is saying here, let him who is unjust be unjust. Basically, when Jesus Christ comes, you're not going to have time to go and you know clean up your act and fix things. You know what he's saying? Hey, be ready now. Okay? If you're unjust, you know what? Let you be unjust when Jesus Christ comes. You know, you need to be ready right now. Why? Because he's coming quickly and his reward is with him. And then, you know, and so basically what we're seeing here in chapter 22 is like Jesus kind of interjecting some things here, basically telling the church to be ready. So when we see this in chapter 16 and verse 15, after he's been telling us about all these terrible things that are coming and on their way, you know what he's doing? He's throwing out a warning in because he doesn't want us to be here during this time. We don't want to be here. I mean, do you want to be on this earth when you can't buy or sell or anything without the mark? And if you get the mark, you have a noisome, grievous sore that's talking about where you're gnawing your tongue for pain? Do you want to have a locust tormenting you for five months that has a sting like a scorpion? Do you want to be on this earth when you're getting scorched with fire from the sun? And when you can't drink any water, when all the sea creatures are dead, do you want to be here when Long John Silver's is out of business? Do you want to be here, you know, when you can't even get what from the rivers of water, the fountains? I don't want to be here during this time. This is a horrible, horrible time. And then to top it all off, all the armies are getting gathered together. Why just so Jesus Christ can come and he can destroy them with the sword of his mouth? And so he's telling us all these terrible things that are part of God's wrath. But you know what? There's something you can do to escape the wrath of God. And that's you can get saved and be ready for his appearing. And we did by getting saved. And so Jesus just thought, he's interjecting here. This is what's going on. Behold, I come quickly. He's warning us that we better be ready. That's all that is. And most of these interjections we see, ones in chapter 2, will I come quickly? Will I come quickly? He wants us to be ready for his appearing. That doesn't prove eminency. Okay? That doesn't prove, you know, that, that, that does not prove eminency, but it does, uh, you know, it does just because the rapture is not eminent, doesn't mean we shouldn't be ready. And unfortunately, many people, they are going to be asleep when the rapture comes. There, there's no doubt about that. And you know what? They're going to be ashamed. They're going to be ashamed at his appearing. There's going to be a, there's a special reward for those who love his appearing. In other words, those who are looking for it. Those who are watching. Those who are living their lives like he could come today. I believe we ought to do that. I believe we ought to live our lives like he could come today. Why? Because that's how we, that's how we watch. That's how we're ready. I don't believe, I believe the people who are going to be sleeping when Christ returns are the people who are not living like he could come today. If you're not right with God, I don't see why the Lord's going to reveal everything to you when it's going down. I, I, I don't see that. I, I think if we want to, I want to know the Antichrist when he shows up. I want to know when Jesus Christ is just about to return. I want to know it. And I believe the key to knowing it is making sure that we stay right with God. And so, chapter 16, it is, it is a horrible, it is a horrible chapter. You know, we don't think about it a lot because we just know we're not going to be here for it. But stop and think about it for a little bit. 
And when you stop to think about it for a little bit, you can kind of see, while as Jesus is revealing this to John, that we see his words inserted in there. You know, and it, it, it was a great time for a reminder. Think about those seven churches as this letter is being read to them. You know, and they're hearing all this stuff for the first time that's coming to this earth. You're, you're hearing all these terrible things, and it was like Jesus knew this would be a good time to insert a reminder. That, you know what? I come quickly. Be ready, and the other, so you won't have to, uh, you know, be here for this. So I think that I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I don't know what the preachers would do with that. But I know they don't think he's coming around again, <laughs> but. Uh, I, I do think that is a I do think that is a rapture verse. A lot of them would try to say, well, that's just for the Jews during that time, for the ones who believe in a post-seven-year rapture for the Jews versus the ones who believe in a mid-trip rapture for the Jews. But you know that that's another thing we can make fun of before at another time. But with that, let's go ahead and close the word prayers. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the the warnings that you have given us, and dear God, we thank you that. Uh, we will be spared your wrath. Lord, I pray you'll help us to try to reach as many other people as we can. Lord, I'm reminded in this passage of how worthy our country is of judgment. Lord, we thank you that you've blessed us and you've not given us what we deserve. And uh, Lord, we ask that you will hold off judgment until uh, after your return. Lord, if not, you're, you're good anyway, Lord, if you don't destroy us tomorrow. Lord, that's just another day of blessing. If you do destroy us tomorrow, Lord, you're still good. We thank you. We thank you uh, for every day where we can enjoy freedom and peace and, and the prosperity of this country. Lord, I pray help us not to uh, take advantage of it in a bad way, but let's use it uh, as an opportunity to just witness to as many people as we can. Here, and we pray. Amen.